going to take a small, uh, a small break from Acts after this week, right? Uh, I don't know about you guys. I love doing book studies, but um, I have ADD as well as OCD, and sometimes I get bored of something, and I need a little refresher on other things. So this, after this week, we're going to take just a couple of weeks off from Acts, and then we'll jump back into it. Today, we're going to finish Acts chapter 3, however. If you remember last week, we talked about... Uh, Peter and John going up to the temple to pray and they heal the wise man. And or they heal the wise man. They heal the lame man. Boy, we're starting off good today. They heal the lame man. And there's some awesome stuff that happens there um, with all of that. This week, we're going to talk about the immediate aftermath of what happens. And this is Peter's second sermon. How many, how many people did Peter get saved in his first sermon? Does anybody remember? 3,000. We won't read that in, we will not fully read this in this one, but it says it in the very next chapter. Does anybody know how many this sermon gets saved? 5,000. He's getting better at this preaching thing, apparently. Let's read about what he talked about. Peter's sermon, take two. We're starting in Acts chapter 3, verse 11. It reads, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you so amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised up from the dead, a fact to which we were witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you. Whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the ancient time. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything, he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Let's talk about Peter's sermon. Number one, on your note sheets, if you grabbed a, if you grabbed a bulletin and you have a note sheet there, number one on your note sheet, power of Jesus. Right, so we set the stage, right? Peter and John have walked. They've got this guy up. Peter is impulsive. He's like, hey, get up. And this guy is dancing. He's jumping. He's been lame since birth. We talked all about that last week and how incredible a miracle that actually is. And everybody around him sees it and goes, isn't that the same guy that we just gave cash to? 
and now he's jumping around? We know he's been lame since birth. What happened? And Peter, because he's in the Holy Spirit, right? We talked all about that last week. Because he's in the Holy Spirit, he knows that they are starting to praise him and John. And he says, time out, time out. We don't have any power. We in ourselves do not have any power or piety to make this happen. It is Jesus, the one whom you guys killed, that gave us the power to do this. I want to stop there. I didn't write this on your note sheet, and I should have. You have no power. I do not care how talented you are, how much money you've got, how close you think you are to God. You innately have no power to do anything. Jesus has the power. And he chooses to use you as the conduit of that power. I want to make that abundantly clear. Because... In this moment, Peter and John could have very easily given in to their pride and gone, yeah, we're pretty awesome, aren't we? Yeah, we serve Jesus, but boy, we're pretty awesome, aren't we? And Jesus tells them, and Luke, we read, and Jesus tells them, you're going to do incredible things. Peter and John could have become just arrogant sons of guns in this moment. But Peter's first thing he says is, no, pause, this isn't us. We didn't do this. And I want to encourage you this morning because as we talked about last week, when you're walking in the Spirit, God's going to do incredible things through you. And when he does, make sure that everyone knows it is not you. It is God. Not in a false humility. Oh, no, it's not me. It's God. It's not me. It's not me. It's God. No, no, no. False humility is pride as well. In true humbleness to go, listen, it's not me. I'm just joyous that I get to be used by the one who knows how to use me best. He starts there. Now let's talk about what the power of Jesus is, right? We read in, in chapter 4, which we'll read in a couple of weeks, 5,000 people are going to get saved from this message. 5,000 people. Jesus has the power for salvation. We sang it this morning. My God is mighty to save. Salvation is not an easy thing, in case you were wondering. You and I are rotten to the core. Our flesh is evil. Make no doubt about it. If you wonder what part of your flesh is evil, it's all of it. And if you think some of it might not be, try to go it on your own for a little bit. Don't actually, because you will fail. Jesus healed blind men. He did incredible things. He had lame people walk. He raised people from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. The dead. He's the only one to ever do it. Every other time in scripture you see somebody raised from the dead, somebody else had to do the raising. Jesus raised himself from the dead. None of that compares to salvation, to providing the way. Because you and I are utterly despicable people. Unlovable to the very core of our beings. 
the miracle and power of salvation, it took real might to do that. It took real authority to do that. No one else but the king of kings could have done it. Secondly, he talks about this faith, right? In verse 16, he says, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health. Okay, let's talk about that. This faith through him, we read about that in Hebrews as well. How many of you would say, yeah, I think I have good faith. It's okay to put your hand in the air. I do. I feel like I have pretty good faith when it comes to a, to a lot of things. I trust my maker. Not as much as I should in some cases, but I feel like I do. I was raised in a good home that taught me the value of doing that. Here's the thing. I don't have any faith. Scripture is abundantly clear. Faith comes through Jesus. He gives faith. Now, that does not give you the excuse to go, I don't have any faith. It's Jesus' fault. It's a bad idea to ever blame anything on Jesus, right? That's like when you go, well, it's not my fault I didn't do it like that. You didn't tell me to do it like that. Not wise. How many of you ever had a boss and tried to pull that line? doesn't last very long. He's usually not your boss. He or she, right? They're usually not your boss much longer. Not because they got fired, but because you did. Um, right? Faith comes through Jesus. Your work is that you've got to be close to him. That's your, where you come in. Right? We read in James. We read about it when we walked through James. You've got to have works with your faith. Right? Your first work is be close to Jesus. Then his faith flows through you. And then lastly, and quite frankly, in my opinion, the least important of these three things we kind of read about in here, he has the power to do miracles. I'm not downplaying miracles at all, but boy, it pales in comparison to salvation to me. But he has the power to do miracles. How many of you have ever had a miracle happen in your life? Good, good, you can put your hands down. How many of you have ever gotten over a cold? You can put your hand, it's, you're right. The flu? Were you ever sick in your life or got a cut and it healed? Congratulations, God performed a miracle in your life. You never have to think, oh, I don't know if God's performed a miracle. He has. Yeah, he might not have literally parted the Red Sea for you. Maybe he did. I don't know. If he did, I want to hear about it, not because I, I don't believe you, but because I just think stories of the miracles God performs are incredible. I love it. It's one of the reasons that I actually enjoy talk, not, I'm going to be honest with you guys, right? And I learned this from my dad. Whenever there was a missionary who preached on a Sunday morning, do you know what church my family was not at? That one. We didn't go to those services. We went to somebody else. Take it up with my dad if you think it's a sin. He'll probably say it's not. I don't know. Whatever. But I'll tell you this much. When the entire church service is taken up with a missionary just talking about what they're doing, I walk out of the Sunday morning and go, what did I get out of that? But I love sitting around. Like when, when Eddie and Bona were here, we sat in the room back there, and they talked all about what they're doing, stuff like that. I love that when it's more personal and it's one-on-one -on -one and hearing what God is doing and the miracles God is performing. I adore that. And if you ever feel um, discouraged, go, go listen to a missionary talk about what God is doing. Or go ask a local pastor, hey, what's God doing? If you put them on the spot, they might stumble for a little bit before they get their wording down. But 
God's always working. God is always working miracles. Always. We want to see the big ones. We want to see the Red Sea parted. We want to see the walls of Jericho fall, right? We want to see the big ones. Show me the times in Scripture God worked on the big ones. He did. But way more often, you know what he did? The little ones in other people's lives. God will do the big thing every once in a while. He will. Don't misunderstand me. God will do the big things. But God way more often works in the little miracles in our lives to cause things to happen. But they are still miracles. He is still doing miracles today, just the same as he did back then. There are still people that are miraculously healed. There are still people that are miraculously alive when they should not be. There are still people that God calls to him. Miracles still happen today, just the same as they did back then. Number two on your note sheet, and this is kind of the, um, the big crux of this. Ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance is no excuse. How many of you have ever been pulled over by a police officer? Wow, we've got a lot of really good law followers in here amazing. Listen, your pastor's been pulled over twice, so it's okay. All right? Should have been pulled over more than that one time, right? So you all know when you're coming down, Flying J is like right here, and you're coming down that the, the hill, the police barracks is here, you come all the way down, and it meets the road where if you turn left, you go to the Hartford Fair, and you turn right, you continue coming down to, to New Milford, right? Well, this was in the winter time, and the trees were bare, and I could see way down that other road. Now there's a stop sign there. And when I say I hit that curve at 40 miles an hour, blew through that stop sign, I'm not lying. And then I happened to just look in my rearview mirror because I consider myself a good driver. And I like to check my mirrors. And I see a car. And I go, boy, that looks like one. And he got up close to me and I went, sure enough, that is one. And I said, there's not a chance he did not see me. Not rolling stop, disregard that stop sign completely and go. Throw on top of there, at that point, somebody had hit my car. So I was missing the driver's side rear view mirror. That cop followed me all the way to Montrose. Because I was, at that time, I was working at Bridgewater Montrose. That cop followed me all the way there. I turned into the Bridgewater campus, and he just kept driving. And I went, praise Jesus, I will stop. I have not rolled through a stop sign since. <laughs> we learned a very valuable lesson that day. But either way, right? But if you get pulled over by a cop, and they go, do you know how fast you were going? If your response is, I didn't know the speed limit had changed, right? You're going, you're going 55 coming into New Milford, and the speed limit changes to 35, and you go, I thought it happened later. Do you know what the cop says? Oh, well, ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance of the law doesn't change what the law is. Let that be a, a, a warning to you, because it turns to 35 out there way sooner than it should in my humble opinion. But either way, I don't make the laws. 
Ignorance is no excuse. Here's the thing. He says in verse 17, Brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. You didn't know. I get it. You didn't know. He then spends the rest of this passage going, but you should have. You are given every single prophets for a thousand years more were telling you about this guy. And then he came and he did everything the prophets said that he would outside of one thing, and that was rule over the whole earth. He hasn't done that quite yet. He's coming to do that, but that's not what he did there. He did everything else. God said it years ago. We read elsewhere in the New Testament that Jesus, that God himself says, listen, if you don't speak, creation itself cries out. I've been asked, Sam, because I wasn't a pastor at that point, Sam, how do tribes in, you know, Papua New Guinea or whatever, they don't know Jesus. How does God hold them accountable? The Bible very clearly states, creation cries out. They have it all that they need. They do. Every single person that has ever lived has what they need to know about Jesus. Yes, in a tribe like that, they might not know his name. But if they're worshiping God, I think they're covered. Creation itself cries out about it. God said it to his prophets years ago who said it. They were put to death because they were saying it. Jesus was put to death. There's another line in a Casting Crown song. It's beautiful. It says the world was ready for his gifts, but not his plan. They wanted the man who raised people from the dead and healed people. They did not want the man that told them they needed to change their ways. Jesus was both. And you can say, they could say, listen, we didn't know. And Peter says, but you should have. Ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance is not the same as not knowing. I want to point that out. If you are ignorant of something, oftentimes that means you are willfully choosing to ignore or not recognize something, right? If you came up to me with a question that involved calculus, I am unknowing of how to solve that. We could be there for the next 20 years, and we might stumble on the right answer, but that's because we're just writing down numbers and hoping. I have a lot of things that I've been ignorant of in my life because I willfully choose to ignore them. You realize the word ignore is in the word ignorance? What Peter is saying is, listen, you ignored it. You weren't stupid. You ignored it. You are held accountable for it. And then he just comes right out and says it in verse 23. And it will be that every soul that does not heed the prophet shall be utterly destroyed. Every soul that does not believe will be destroyed. Obliterated. Gone. Church, you know, I've said this before, and I've said it again and again and again, and I will say it as long as I shall live. You have two choices, salvation or destruction. And if you choose not to choose, you have chosen destruction. You can't be ignorant. Being ignorant of who Christ is is not an excuse. When you get up there, 
if you decided you went to church and all that kind of stuff, but you were ignorant of salvation, you'll hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And there is going to be a whole lot more people that hear that than hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If you don't believe me, Jesus himself says the way is narrow. A narrow way doesn't allow for a lot of people. There will be more people that hear, depart from me, I did not know you, than that hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And you might, or you might get there and you didn't hear it at all, right? You might not even hear, depart from me, I never knew you, because you didn't even try to know him. You didn't even pretend to know him. Salvation or destruction, those are the two choices. And choosing to be ignorant of salvation is choosing destruction. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And then the last part of this, and it's beautiful, is verse 26. For, first, for you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. You've heard me say this before, and again I will say it again and again and again. God plays favorites. He chose Abraham and that line. He could have chosen anyone. Was Abraham any more holy than any other person living right then? No. He could have chosen somebody else. He chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob on down. And then he chose the line of David. He made it even more insular inside the Jewish line. What was their incredible blessing? We read it right there. They got to know Jesus first, and then they got to share him. The first believers were Jews, and they got to share. And if you go, well, didn't Jesus preach to Gentiles? Of course he did. His 12 apostles, how many of them were Gentiles? None. They were Jews. He preached to the Jews first. As far as I know, none. I'll put, it, I'll put it like that. As far as I know, none. He preached to the Jews first. And then went to the Gentiles. The Jews got to know Jesus before we did. That was their blessing. And what an incredible blessing it was. So let's apply it to our lives, shall we? Because we're already at 1043. Thankfully, there's no football on today. That starts next week. Unless you're a fan of college football, then you can watch that today, but whatever. Let's apply it to our lives, shall we? Number one, there's power in the name of Jesus. Right? We'll sing the song. There is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And you talk about the name of Jesus. It's all great. It's not a cliché. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, not at the sight of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. The name of Jesus is power. You have the ability to use it if you've accepted him. This is not name it, claim it. I'm not standing up here and going, in the name of Jesus, I want $200. It's not there. This is not name it, claim it. This is, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, because I know Jesus wants you to walk. This is, in the name of Jesus, you know who has to answer to the name of Jesus? Satan? Demons? What did you say, buddy? Well, everyone, yes, yep, yep. Satan and his demons have to. They have to respond to the name of Jesus. 
Even unbelievers cast out demons when they used the name of Jesus. Don't believe me? Go look it up. It happened because the disciples were in a tizzy over it. The name of Jesus holds power. Use it. Now to use it, you got to know how. That takes spending time with God. That takes spending time with him, right? If somebody came up here right now and handed me a rocket launcher, yeah, I could probably shoot it, but I wouldn't hit my target, and if I did, it would be an accident, and I would probably hurt myself more than somebody else. Using the name of Jesus without actually spending time with him is like shooting off a rocket launcher when you don't know how to use it. You're not going to hit anything you wanted to hit anyway. You'll just cause collateral damage. The name of Jesus has power, but you've got to spend time with him in order to use it. Secondly, let God work. Let God work. How many of you in here would claim that you are a doer? Yeah, good amount of you. That's what I thought. There is nothing wrong with being a doer. I want to point that out right now. However, comma, there is something very wrong with being a doer when you tell God to take the back seat, you'll do the doing. That's not wise. Let God work. Let him use you. He will use you. When you go, okay, God, I want to work. Show me where to go. Then let God do it from there. We talked about it last week. If God didn't want that lame man to walk, it didn't matter how much Peter yelled at him or pulled him up, that lame man was not going to walk. Jesus did the work because Peter and John let him. If you don't let God work, guess what? He'll find somebody else who will. Saul let God work for a long time and then decided he wanted to do it. God went and found David. Let God work. And lastly, and this is where we get a little more concrete. The reason God blesses you is so you can bless other people. That is why. You have not earned a blessing. You don't deserve a blessing. Throw that aside right now. I don't care how good you are, how much money you have given. No, you don't earn or deserve a blessing. God gives you blessings so you give them to other people. Now, I'm not saying that if God, if you go, God, I need $100 to pay my electric bill, and God gives you $100, and you go, well, got to hand this to somebody else now. No. But what that does mean is, hey, in six months, when you're actually pretty good on your bills now, but somebody else goes, man, I just need 50 bucks. Give them the 50 bucks. Right? God blesses us so that we in turn can bless other people. Look for people to bless and how to bless them. Mark this. If you don't bless somebody in the right way, it's not a blessing. Right? If you come to me and you say, Pastor, I know you're tired, right? You've, we've had a long summer. We've done a bunch of stuff. I can tell you're tired. Let me write your sermon for you this week. Let me be a blessing to you and write your sermon for you this week. That is not a blessing. It's not. In fact, it's a hardship for me now because now I have to spend more time figuring out the sermon than if I had just written it myself. Now, if you said, Pastor, I know that you... You go and see Bruce all the time, and I do. 
take a week off real quick. I'll send his love. I'll send your love. I'll go see him. You go do, you go see this other person or you go do this that I can't do. That's a blessing. Now I'm not asking anybody in here. You, listen, if you want to go see Bruce, please do. He's back up at Elderwood Village where he's been. It's great. Please go see Bruce if you would like to or call him or whatever, right? I'm not asking for that, that I need it. What I'm saying is if you bless somebody in a way they don't need a blessing, most of the time it won't actually be a blessing to them. There's two ways to, bless, two ways to ensure you're blessing somebody in the right way. The first one is foolproof. Let God tell you how they need to be blessed, right? If you go, God, I feel like I really need to bless Erica today. How, how can I do that? Show me what she needs. Is it just a smile? Is it, hey, do you need a cup of coffee? How do you, need, how do you want me to bless her today? And let him tell you. The second thing you can do is to go to somebody and say, hey, God put it on my heart to bless you, but I'm not exactly sure what you need or how. How can I bless you today? How can I bless you today? It can be an awkward question when you're not used to asking it yet. But boy, it's a good one. And let me tell you, if you go to somebody and say, how can I bless you today? That in itself is oftentimes a blessing. Because it shows that somebody cares about them enough to at least ask the question. Now here's the thing, you've got to go through with it. You can't be like, how can I bless you today? And they go, I just really need a hug. And you go, good for you. Walk out. It's not a blessing at that point. I'm not saying you should pay everybody's electric bill. Although if somebody in here is like, it's on my heart. I want everybody's electric bills. Praise God. No. God blesses us so we can bless other people. He did it with the Jews first. He does it with us now. Be a blessing to everyone around you because I know God has blessed each and every one of you. I'm not saying that all of us in here have great amounts of money or time or whatever, right? I'm not saying that. I am saying I know he's blessed you. So turn around and bless other people. The amazing thing is when you're blessing other people, God blesses you in turn and then you can bless other people again and it keeps going and it's this perfect circle. Would you pray with me? Father, you're, you gave Peter some words to say that are very difficult sometimes, especially the fact that ignorance is no excuse. That being ignorant of who you are, of what you did for us, is not an excuse. Because you've also provided every way for us to see it. I pray, Father, that all of us in here or listening, whether it's on the podcast or on Facebook, would not be ignorant. We know the way is narrow, but it is wide enough for all of us if we'd accept you. And help us to, in our salvation as well, to not be ignorant of things you want us to do, of how you want us to bless, of who you want us to bless, of where you want us to grow and become more like your son. Father, give us a blessed week. And it's in the precious name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.